In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by my friend and fellow church kid Leanne Mitchell to discuss her experiences growing up that eventually led her to decide to leave her childhood church, as well as how to navigate the times when our life goes a different direction than what we had planned. This week's conversation is based around the topics and themes in chapter 21 of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoyed today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first-time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and on this episode, I am joined by a very special guest, a new friend of mine, Leanne Mitchell. How's it going, Leanne? Good. How are you? I'm pretty good. So we went to, I'll let you share your whole story in a second, but we went to the same church, not the same church region, but the same church organization. We have some shared friends, but I didn't actually meet you until, or talk to you at all until... Maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yeah. So I'm really excited to talk to you about, we have a lot of shared experiences uh, in the church and I'm really excited to talk to you about all of it. But first I want to ask you the question that I ask every guest on this show. Mm-hmm. Would you start by giving us a general overview of yourself and your background, particularly in regards to your church and faith journey? Yes. So my parents were in the church long before I was born. My mom got baptized Um, when she was 19. And then my dad got baptized in his early 30s. And then they actually adopted me through an organization that helped people in the church with adoptions. And so Mm. essentially, like I got adopted through the church, in a sense, back in 98. And then I grew up in Southern California. And I was there from when I was adopted to 16 months old to about 19 years old. And then was in Oregon, still in church, in that same church for about five years. And now I'm in Colorado up until when I did leave the church last August. So about 25 years. Yeah. So you were in it for three years or four years more than I was even. Mm -hmm. And got baptized at 14, about like a week before my freshman year of high school ended. So I started studying the summer before my freshman year. And then I studied all through my freshman year and then got baptized at 14. And this is your first time tuning in. Studying is a term that our church uses that I've mentioned a couple times on this podcast before. It's come up several times. Um, In our church, in order to become a member, you had to be baptized, which you can only do uh, after going through a series of multiple intentionally curated Bible studies that each pertain to a different topic or theme and was made to kind of give you an overall, though in-depth, understanding of the Bible, of Jesus, of our individual church's beliefs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you grew up in the church, when you're in the teens or whenever you want to start studying to get baptized, you start going through what we call these studies. So whenever we refer to studying the Bible, that's what we mean. We mean going through these specific studies. So yeah, did the kingdom kid usual stuff, you know. Yeah, one more vocab word or vocab term. Um, and I know if you're listening to this and have listened to the whole podcast or have gone to our church, you know all these terms, but I'm just saying it for the people who are listening for the first time and are not members of our former church organization. So kingdom kid is the term given to a church kid from our specific church organization. We were called kingdom kids. 
all that fun stuff and went through the campus ministry and the singles and up until I left. So I think I went through every ministry up until the married ministry. Up until the top. <laughs> up until the top. Yeah. When you reach the top. And you were you were in the campus ministry where? Where was that? Um, kind of scattered. Like I started yeah. in Southern California when I graduated high school. And then I was in the campus ministry in Oregon. But the campus ministry there was a lot smaller. The campus ministry that I started in in Southern California was about 70 people, I'd say. Okay. So pretty, pretty good sized group. And then when I went to Oregon, it was probably where I was specifically, it was me and another person that really? were like oh, actively God. going to sure. uh, to school. And then everyone else was like graduated already or just weren't going to school. But essentially like the campus ministry and the singles ministry or the Yopros were like together because yeah. there were only five of us. So wow. not not that not that big. <laughs> Yeah, so there's no way to get lost in that group, I don't think. Not at all. And three of us live together. So it was three. Oh, wow. So it's just. <laughs> we all live together. And then the two guys that did not live together, but we all were yeah. very like geographically close and relationship wise. Like we were all good friends. No. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. And then you left. Oh, we'll get into all that, I guess. So let me ask you this. So you're a church kid like me, like the perspective of my book and a lot of friends I talked to were church kids. Mm -hmm. And. I kind of want to ask you just, just overall, I want to talk about that. What was it like growing up for you in the church as a church kid? And what were, give us the whole thing. What, what were the bad aspects of it? Or were, the, what were, the, were there any good aspects of it? What was your overall experience? Yeah, I think, I mean, in the moment when you are a church kid, you don't really think of, you just go with your parents to whatever yeah. event or church service it is. But I, we were very busy. My My parents were very well-known in the church we were in just because my mom helped plant two two or three churches like sister churches and so she has a lot of ties and so my parents in LA and that's where they got married and everything so yeah. um I was very I just felt very comfortable and very much like yeah this is where I belong this is awesome and you know I grew up as an only child so I was able to have people my own age who I was around a lot and I was able to hang out with them, um, not just at church, but, you know, outside of church and just have that community base. I think that's like one of the good things that I've realized is that I, I really did have a community in the church. Yeah. And I always like growing up in the church, I always said, if you know one person in the church, you know, everybody, you know, like yes. everyone yep. is always tied, um, you know, whether it be domestically or internationally, like I know a lot of people mm -hmm. scattered in other countries and they know my friends in the States and, you know, all that. Mm. So I really, I really liked that just because if you want to travel, you could always like be connected to a church. Yeah. And we were always busy looking back. We, were a little too busy in the sense of like we weren't at least my family you know like there was only the three of us me and my parents and we were so busy that we didn't really make time to talk about our feelings or you know mm -hmm. like I recently have really wanted to work on like saying sorry from a genuine point of view because I never was taught that I was always taught to just at least my family we would just like say things slam the door and then an hour later mm. nothing happened you know and I feel yeah. like that kind of 
was contributed from the church in a sense because I felt I feel like looking back I feel like if you were in some kind of disagreement with somebody or or if you were kind of uh, quote-unquote stagnant or like in a plateau like you didn't have time to reach out to people invite people to church make disciples all that stuff like you just were go 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 that's something else that I've realized about my upbringing is that I was very much go 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 and also being in like the LA area it's very busy. Oh, you know. yes, that's the culture. Yes, mm-hmm. it's the culture. And then when you add the church culture into that, it's like it's double the amount or even five times the amount of go, go, go. You know, you have no time to rest. You have no time for yourself. If you make time for yourself, you're selfish. Like that's yeah. I didn't know self-care was a thing up until I was like maybe 20. I didn't hmm. I was like, what is self-care? Oh, you're being selfish. That's what it is. You're putting yourself before people, you know, and now right. I'm like. Now I'm learning to say no and not feel bad about it, not feel like I have to say yes, not feel like I have to say yes for someone else's comfortability and put mine aside. So that was kind of all over the place. But that's like, those are like the things that I've kind of taken in and reflected on since I've left last year. No, that's great. And I wanted to ask you, we're going to get into the overall theme of this episode and topic a little bit later, but I wanted to ask you first, you mentioned that you just left. I mean, you've you left, I think when this airs, it'll be very close to a year ago. Exactly. So you've been out for about a year, which is pretty fresh. And I wanted to ask you just maybe just your overall thoughts on being in a place like that for so long. And then all of a sudden finding yourself out. And you can go wherever you want with this, with this answer. I mean, you can talk about maybe your perspective and thoughts since being out and also, you know, maybe the process of realizations of things that maybe eventually led you to decide to leave. So something that I was thinking about that I wanted to talk about tonight is that I truly thought I would get married, have kids, settle down in the LA, the LA specific church that I was in that specific location. And because that's all I've ever known, um, that's all I ever knew from when I was adopted to 19 years old, you know, like Mm. those are like your prime years, you know, of your life. And that was really big for me to make that step and move. I moved with my parents, actually I moved with my parents to Oregon to help start a house church in Oregon for, you know, said church and, um, to do essentially a sister church. And that obviously didn't work out. My parents got divorced about a year after we moved there and it really was so different. I think like within a year moving to a completely different state that I didn't know anybody. And then having my parents get divorced, like that was really big because, it just was something, two things that I was not used to, you know? And yeah. I feel like me moving was like a catapult of my life. Just thinking of me thinking, wow, I can get through anything. That yeah. makes sense. You know, like yeah. I mm-hmm. I truly did not see myself anywhere else other than where I grew up. So the fact that I was able to move to another state was awesome. And then with everything that has followed in my life, I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. Like, it's really hard, but I can do this, you know? And I think that's something that I did not really learn 
like growing up in the church was that like being comfortable is okay in a sense yeah you know same old same old and that was a big reason why I did move was because I just I literally felt like I was in a rut I was I had just finished my first year of college and I started my my second year and within a month I'd say maybe not even a month I started getting panic attacks and I started Mm -hmm. just feeling so much pressure anxiety worries about anything and everything in my life and that was really new for me sure where I'm like what is wrong with me what's going on and I truly was like oh I can't do so-and-so for the church because I'm so like literally frozen in fear of this might no. happen to me that might happen to me I can't function I and then that's when I went on my gap year so I went on my mm-hmm. gap year in like February of 2016 and then that September was when we moved to to Oregon. So a lot happened then. Yeah. I would say in the past like five years, I've realized that like yes, there are a lot of people adopted in the church, but that's not really like a thing that's encouraged to talk about. It's not discouraged, but it's not encouraged in a sense. Sure. And you know, I'm you know, I'm Chinese. My parents are both white. And yes, I grew up in I mean, my high school was 4,000 kids and there were, I would, I personally think maybe 80% of my high school was Asian, like a lot of that, wow. but I did not feel yeah. connected to them. Like there's always like that in between of like, I'm not white enough. I'm not Asian enough, you know, all that stuff. And like, that's something mm-hmm. that came up in my life. It was the summer before my senior year of high school. I went on a youth corps out in Pittsburgh. And mm-hmm. our last night there, we were telling our testimonies. It was really awesome. And I started telling my testimony. And then, like, it was literally like word vomit of like mm-hmm. all these things I've never felt. I, I never, I never talked about. I never said verbally out loud. I never really even thought yeah. about up until that. And it was all just anger towards my birth parents, anger towards God, anger towards who I am, what, like, who am I, who did I come from, where did I come from, all that stuff, because I truly don't know. So that I think that was, that was something that has been something that I've been wanting to talk about and, like, not be ashamed about, because I think before growing up, it was very much, oh, like, I would tell people, oh, yeah, I'm adopted, like, my parents couldn't have a kid, and they adopted me, and I didn't have parents, so cool, like, God, that was God's plan. And that's like all I like left it at. And I mean, obviously when I was growing up, like I would, I would cry a lot about looking different from my parents or looking different from people around me. And like, I, I truly didn't know why, like I knew why, but at the same time, I didn't know why, if that makes sense. Um, And that was in the nineties when I got adopted, like that was the peak of the one child policy in China. So like there are right right there are so so many Chinese girls my around my age you know in their twenties that have been adopted so I think that's something that that's something that I've been wanting to do, like talk about with confidence you know yeah and not be like oh yeah I'm adopted and then like move on from that so that's something that I think that it wasn't really a talking point growing up with people in the church. And I think looking back, especially studying the Bible, I feel like that should have been something that, I don't know, somehow they can talk to me about it or be like, I don't know. Like there weren't many, where I grew up, there weren't many people adopted. 
and the people like I knew actually one of the elders in the church I went to he's adopted but like Hmm. he was domestically adopted and he knew about his birth parents so like that's different like every adoption story is different and there was another girl who was like she's like six or seven years younger than me and she's adopted from China also but it's like she's Hmm. a lot younger than me so like there's no way like I needed someone to help me I couldn't be there to like help her in a sense because I still need help so it was kind of like a a weird back and forth thing for me but that's something that growing up like looking back I I wish was a talking point I guess I think in the church it's very much like oh we're all one family you know like we don't see race and I'm like but you should because we're all different Mm -hmm. for a reason like that's so boring if we're all the same you know and like we're all different we're all different so we can like help each other gain different perspectives on life and you know that's how we get empathy for people and I think that's something that the church really glosses over is like we don't see race we don't see color and I'm like "Mm, that's that's not how it is you know it's always going to be there yeah we go for when we be homogenous right we want to be one Mm -hmm. people and I've talked about this before on the show It, it it both not always in race but what I talked about before it's in mentality and ideology and it's to the detriment of individuality and we're all made so different intentionally Mm -hmm. and when when we kind of gloss over that either because we're afraid to dive into it or unsure of how to how to how to navigate it or just really want the control of having everyone think the same or whatever you lose out on so much opportunity to grow as a person and learn more about yourself and others around you and God. And so that's a really big point. And individuality is taken away. Yeah. And um, being able to think for yourself is taken away. Absolutely. And that's, that's something that I've, I've reflected on since leaving is just the fact that I grow like looking back, I never asked questions. I was never like, why do we do this? Why don't we do this? Mm-hmm. You know, why is it acceptable for literal, like literal teenagers to get baptized and then that sets the course of your life of like oh you're saved it's like right. okay but I can't even drive right now or like I'm so young like I'm still a kid you know and it was, yeah. it was put on a pedestal for sure of um those decisions so how was your experience getting baptized in terms of once you were baptized I know for there's there's a dynamic sometimes and you may not have experienced this or, or to very level I'm curious what level you did when you were baptized how was it afterwards in terms of whoever studied with you whoever kind of were your mentors or disciples or whatever mm-hmm. once you were baptized was that support still there or did it kind of drop off a little bit how did how did it feel for you it might have felt fine um yeah for me um the people who did study with me who were pretty consistent they kept in touch with me and i mean they were yeah. still in the the same services as me so i would see them a lot um and i would say the first like I mean, throughout high school, it was pretty good just because yeah. you're just like, I mean, as a kingdom kid, you're just like, I want to get baptized. And then once you do, you're like, yeah, I got it. You know, like yeah. I'm in the club, man. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and like I felt I felt very much like that. And I believe it was in your first episode. One of the girls said, you know, you get that superiority complex. And I definitely got that yeah. because one the fact that my parents are, were in the church for such a long time, like, that's awesome. Also, my mom, like I said before, my mom helped plant 
like two churches. So like I'm able to like tell people that but tried. And then also say, nice. oh yeah, I got baptized at 14, you know, like that's pretty awesome. And I think that uh, high school was pretty good up until my senior year, like I said, uh, with the adoption and everything. That's when I got in a really bad, bad, depressive year, I would say. Hmm. It was really bad. And that's that's something else. Um, I think that the, not just this church specifically, but just churches in general should talk about is mental health because I didn't know what depression was. I didn't know why I had these thoughts and I would get together with my team leader and she would just ask me questions and then pray for me. Like I didn't, I literally, I did not know what therapy was up until Mm -hmm. I was like, after my parents got divorced. So like 21 ish. I didn't yeah. know what therapy was and even then i was like oh therapy i'm not broken i don't need that you know and i was right I have, I have god yeah like i have god like i'm fine i'm getting out of bed every day like that's i felt like that right. was like the bare minimum of doing good yeah so campus was great i i'm at least in in california it was really good it was really fun just because there was you know 70 to 100 people always there at events yeah. and you know, all that stuff. So that was fun. I really like that. One aspect of the whole church kid experience in general, uh, we were talking about before a little bit that I wanted to talk to you about was, I, I, it's a bigger subject with a lot of individual categories and small things under the umbrella is guy, girl dynamics, purity, culture, dating. <laughs> it's a big, it's a big category. That could be an entire episode. And it was on my, on my podcast, but it's so prevalent. I feel like with every person I talk to, that it ends up being a topic of conversation in, in many of the episodes I've, I've had, regardless of what the actual topic was. So I want to, I don't know what the question is. What it has been your experience been with all of that? What are your perspectives on it? What give us your whole thing, whatever you have to say about it. I'm really curious. Oh man. Yeah. You're not, you're not wrong about how it could be a whole episode for sure. I obviously knew like I, at least for me, I grew up with in the teens. Cause that's when you get your hormones, you get, all the feelings for you know the opposite sex or whatever and I was taught you know don't tell them that you like them don't be alone with them don't quote make them struggle you know like you know those keywords of a of this church and um it was very much like if I liked a guy, I would have to like tell my team, my discipler, and then she would talk to his discipler, and then he would talk to him and be like, hey, what do you oh. think about Leanne? And then it's just literally like a game of telephone. And obviously in telephone, things get, you know, misinterpreted. And I just felt like I wasn't allowed to like people without a certain agenda. Like, I feel like yeah. it's okay to like, especially when you're 14, 15, 16, like it's okay to like someone just to like them. Like you don't have to like them to want to marry them or to want to date them. Right. You know, like you're still figuring out yourself. And then, you know, people who are the opposite sex of you. And I think that that uh, was very much like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. It was very, and is very much like, don't do this, don't do that, but you can do this, but you can do that. And it was very one-sided. And like I said before, like I didn't really ask questions. So I was never, I was never a rebellious kid in any sense. So I was just like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I will do that. I don't want to stray away from God. So I'll do what you tell me to do. And with that, I mean, in my experience came 
just an intense culture of rigidity. And because between guys and girls, a lot of do's, I mean, a lot, a lot of don'ts, very little do's, because they didn't want us anywhere near each other because they always assumed we were going to do something bad or they wanted to keep us in line, right? My So my parents met when they were like 34, 35. And yeah. my dad was married before my mom and had a kid with his previous okay. wife, right? So when my parents met and got married, they met and got married within like nine months, <laughs> like really fast. Wow. I mean, they were in their 30s already, so. Right, so they were already, yeah, right, sure. And my dad, and let me see, my dad, my brother was like two or three at that time. So he had a kid, you know, whatever. And my parents couldn't even be left alone. Like they weren't even allowed to be alone. And they were in their mid thirties. And my dad was. And they like, were mid thirties. Yeah. Like. Oh my god. You know. And there was there was this one time when my parents planned a hiking trip, like day trip, for like all like yeah. the singles or something. And they both were in L.A. at that time, like L.A. area, yeah. and they got rebuked for it because they didn't get advice they took the oh singles away from the ministry and i'm like they're the hanging out of control together is just astounding it's uh, and what that results in I, i've mentioned this in previous episodes too it results in just a complete lack of trust in your own decisions and your own independence because yes. you, you, you can't grow those muscles because you aren't allowed to yeah for sure oh my gosh but also like we well what we said uh, before is that we're not able to think for ourselves and we're not able to just be, just be ourselves, you know, and go with what we're feeling, which is not always a bad thing. Yeah. Real quick. Would you mind expanding upon that a little bit about the not thinking for ourselves? You talked about that a little bit. Cause I know in my experience, yeah, the culture, it, it promotes kind of a blind, a blind faith sometimes, especially when you're younger and with your leaders mm-hmm. and I would say it's never a healthy thing, but it can be an okay thing if the leader's telling you things that are healthy. Yeah. Because there's not, there won't be many repercussions to that maybe in terms of the things you're being taught. But when the people who you are taught to have blind faith in end up not having the healthiest teachings or ideas to give to you, that can really cause a lot of problems. But that whole idea about thinking for yourself, would you mind, I don't know if you have any more thoughts on that. I like that. That's a really important idea. Yeah, I think... I mean, growing up in this environment, like that was all I've ever known. And mm. I mean, my parents were never like, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do that? So like, I think the fact that I didn't grow up in a household where authority was questioned, like I just went along with what my parents did, you know? And I think that not thinking for yourself, I think that that is very dangerous because I, I, I personally feel like the leaders in that church not just the church I grew up in, but the church overall. Sure. They are self-appointed by God and they speak yeah. for God. And mm. that is something I had never even thought about up until me leading um, last summer. So mm. just thinking of them saying like, oh, God wants this. Did he tell right. you that? No, he didn't tell you that. Like it's it's from it's for your your own agenda. And it's, um, it's not very beneficial. So I think that that's something that I've realized is that the yeah. leaders in the church are very much self-appointed. And also, I did not know what seminary school was up until 
the beginning of this year. I had no idea what that was. Oh, I didn't know for a long time either. (laughs) When I first heard it, I was like cemetery school, like, like (laughs) to do like funerals. Like, what is that? And then they're like, no seminary. Like you go and you study the Bible, like you actually study the Bible. You study the history of it. You study the ins and outs of it. And that's something that I realized is like, is that, oh, no, no pastor or minister in the church that we went to, went to seminary school, was educated Mm -hmm. in the Bible. They were all educated from each other, which is, sure. what would you call that? Like, well, I want to say, I I do believe that there, there were definitely people, leaders that, that were trained and did go to seminary school, but you're absolutely right that the majority, I would say, didn't, and were just brought up through the pipeline. And I think what you, the word you're looking for, it's like a like a dynasty yes. in the old day, where, where where the people who were related were in this case that that's sometimes it's by blood. Sure, there are families that rise up in the ranks, but many times it's the younger people who the the head the people who are older in the church and leaders. Mm-hmm who they find the younger people who have promise or potential or mm-hmm. they just call it, yeah the leadership potential right and yeah they would kind of be taken under their wing a lot of times mm-hmm. and then because that younger person was under the wing of someone who apparently was in our church and respected and knew everything there was to know the right way right quote unquote they were then they had the the requisites to be the next leader because they knew everything that the leader taught them so it just kind of continued in that whoever they brought up and learned their ways was then put in charge. Continuing the le- the legacy or yeah, passing it down. And people who thought like them, who believed the same things they did, who saw things the way they saw things, which is very important. I think a lot of these churches is they want to continue the same. And then I, I want to give them the credit is they don't always view it as abusive or wrong. That's the thing. They think it's the right thing and the way things need to go and, and whatever in many cases. And it's just, that's just a dangerous road for many reasons. It is. And I think everything they do is really in the name of God, but they can get kind of sidetracked and kind of, sure in a nice way to put it, follow themselves. Sure. Oh yeah, sure. You know, something I've realized with the church influencing, influencing me so much is that I'm very much an all or nothing person. Hmm. And... I think uh, an example for that would be like in the in the church growing up would be like if I were to study the Bible with somebody, I realized the only time I would talk to said person is to set up a Bible study or Mm. to be like, hey, are you reading your Bible? Like, when can you meet up next for a Bible study? Like, it was never like, hey, let's go hang out. Let's go. Yeah, let's just be friends. Let's just be people. And we don't even have to talk about God, you know, or, or church or or whatever it is. So. That's really big. When you when you were, I don't know, in high school and college ministry, usually when this happens, or singles or whatever, were you someone who who was actively studying with people, or were you not as much? Yeah, I. So I would say my freshman year, in I would say in a two to three month period, I personally was leading five Bible studies, and that was wow. That was <laughs> yeah. I was a full time student. I was a freshman. You know, I had a lot going on. I had a lot going on, you know, and not just like I just had school and church, but it was like we had we had Bible talk on campus. We had to reach out to people. We had events. We had midweeks. We had church. And I was a full time student. Yeah. 
And that's something I realized is that like the people who I did study with, when they didn't show interest, I'm like, okay, bye, next person. Let's just move on. Mm. You know, now I would mm-hmm. never really ask them like, okay, like, why do you feel like you don't want to move on in your studies? Or that's okay. Like, let's just be friends, you know, like I like yeah. that. For me personally, that did not even cross my mind to be just friends with them. Mm-hmm. I always had an agenda and that was save them. It was yeah, an agendized relationship to save them. And it's the thing, it's the reason why I think, or one of the reasons why it's, it's harder for us, those people that are in that situation is because the agenda we believe is really valiant and really good. <laughs> and I think on paper it is to save somebody. One, we want to give them... We want to show them that there's a way to be saved for eternal life. That's weighty. And people that you, you nailed it when you said it's, it's a gendized relationship. I talked about that in my book of the chapter about in-campus ministry in LA. I was in in-campus ministry in LA. Maybe the same one, maybe not the same one. I don't know. But the culture was, college campus culture is just full of people who are looking for their people. That's it. People who are lonely, people who are looking, people who are isolated, people who are looking for a direction in their life, and also community and friends. And I don't know, in, in many ways, it often felt like we were dangling the carrot kind of a little bit, where we would be the ones approaching these people and offering them friendship, but with a string attached. It's friendship as long as you come with us to this midweek service or this Sunday service. And then they would come and then we'd be friends and hang out, go to coffee or lunch afterwards and then it'd be okay we're gonna be friends as long as you decide to come next week yeah and then come next week and then it'd be okay i want to be friends as long as you start wanting to study the bible mm-hmm. and as long as you follow through with that and then as long as you get baptized and the thing is for mason my experience at any point along that progression if they at some point decide they want to back out then that relationship is usually over it's just done and there's it's not even like a like a oh we grew apart it's just almost instantaneously we just stopped talking to them and we know and i never saw it i I noticed it then too but so many of us it seems like we we don't notice it because we're so we're so sidetracked already and focused on the next person we move on immediately like because and it just shows it's entirely with an intention to get them to church where because they were never a an individual to us really and were they because they were never really a a person needing a friend we didn't notice when we dropped them from our lives in order to get to the next person. Mm-hmm. And it was with 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, the best intentions. We never meant malice, but it was all the time. Anyway, that's a lot of things to say there, but you, I, I resonated a lot with that. Yeah. Yeah. It was very easy for me to cut, that, cut the ties with them because that, I mean, yeah. to begin with, there were no ties in the beginning, honestly. It was, right. It was just very much like oh, you're not interested in what I want to do for you? Okay, bye. So yeah, it was very unfortunate. And yeah, that's something that I felt a lot of pressure in the campus ministry was to save people. And I remember, yeah. I remember my first, my very first day of college, I was going to community college at that time. And my campus leader at that time said, okay, everyone needs to make a goal of how many people you want to share with today. Right. Yeah. My very first mm-hmm. day, all that. And I say, okay, um, I'll do, I think I said like 25 and he was like, mm, let's do 50. <laughs> and I was like, and this is for, this is for how, like a week or a day? This or was my very, yeah. In one day, 
my very oh my gosh being a full-time student and your first campus. day there yes first day there and you let me ask you for some context here so I mean, in my experience, you don't know many people when you go there. Did you know anybody there or not really? Um, or? I knew a handful of people that went there, like in the campus ministry. But like other than that, yeah. I didn't because it was about 20, 30 minutes away from where I grew up. So like I wasn't sure. familiar with the area. So he was like, um, let's do 50. And I was like, I just <laughs> turned 18. Because um, yeah. I was 17 when I graduated high school. And I just turned 18. no. I was still 17. I turned 18 <laughs> like a month later or like two weeks later. Anyway. Yeah. So I was very young. And, you know, I go to my classes, all that stuff. And then at the end of the day, he gets numbers and he is like, okay, Leanne, how many did you, how many did you share with? And I was like, um, 10. And he was like, mm, let's try again tomorrow. That's thanks for the effort, but let's try again tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah. I'm a horrible disciple. I will never baptize anyone ever, like ever. That's ever. like the scene in you know? have you seen Elf? Yes. So how many how many of those did you make? Uh 85? <laughs> it really was. A- a- 85. All right. <laughs> I- I'm a cotton-headed knitting <laughs> muggins. I can't do it. That's exactly what it is, though. Really? Though? But it- it's wild to me. It's wild. And this is shared, I think, in so many, at least from my people that have heard of so many different campus ministries and even church organizations as a whole is you showed up there really in a, to a new community and you're not the only one. There are many freshmen and people of different levels that are there for the first time. It's the first meeting of the year as a, as a community. And this is supposed to be a community, right? A family, a a group of people who have shared, who are uh, shared lives, shared, whatever. And you, there hasn't even been a single agenda free meeting where you guys can just become friends and become close and and, I don't know, grow that connection together. And you're already saying, okay, we need to go and add more people. And it's such a bummer because those years it's, it can be so valuable to have that kind of community Mm -hmm. when you find it. And when it's people who are just, who are just focused on, on nurturing those relationships there. And that support and that whatever, that's great. And I, I think if, if like, if campus ministry is just focused on that, people will be drawn to it naturally. You wouldn't have to go out and search so hard for the people because what happens is, at least in my experience, is you go out there, you reach out for people and then you bring them in and you realize these people, the thing they share most is just their schedule, right? And they go to all the same meetings and believe the same stuff. But the support, unless... You, it, it it really wavers and because the people don't really spend that much time. I mean, granted, there were a lot of close friendships in those groups, but as a full community group, that's such a bummer that it's immediately on to adding numbers. And then it's even like, what are we even bringing these people into? We're bringing them into a group that's just going to bring them in and then grab their shoulders and turn them around and say, okay, go back out and bring more people in. And that's just the, the cycle that keeps repeating. And where's the depth to what we're actually offering them? We say these things that we have to offer, but then when they get here, we're just like, oh no, we have a mission for you now. Go and bring more and more and more. And that's just a cycle that doesn't stop. Oh yeah, I I felt that for sure. Looking back, I definitely was like, oh my gosh, like this person and I are clicking. That's really awesome. But then in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, I have to invite them. I have to invite them. Because if I don't, right. then I can't save them. And I won't be a good disciple and I can't bring them to God. Like it was so much pressure for such a young person yeah, who just wants friends, you know, like, yeah, 
And it was very hard for me to make friends just because I always had an agenda, you know, and that's, that's something else I've realized about myself is that like, I don't know how to make friends because now I don't know, especially because Mm. I'm in a brand new area and I don't have an agenda anymore to bring people to, right. Yeah. to church so i'm on like bumble bff right now i'm like i guess this is a good start like i don't i don't go <laughs> yeah. out you know like yeah you know when i get home from work i'm just like i just want time for myself so like how can i find people um and that's that's yeah. what i'm trying to do right now um but yes that was really hard for me to just really um just i remember there were sometimes like some friendships i had in college where like we talked for a few months like we sat next to each other we talked for a few months and I hadn't mentioned the church once or like shared my faith once to them and I just felt like that thing hanging over me where I'm like do it do it do it but then I'm like no I don't want to like I don't want to and then I felt guilty for not wanting to and it's like a vicious cycle Mm -hmm. where I'm like I have to have this agenda but I don't want this agenda and all that yeah it's almost like wanting to keep it separate because once you bring them into that dynamic and they maybe don't want to, or even if they do want to, they're in that track now where they become valuable for a different reason. Mm-hmm. And I, I yeah. definitely have wrecked friendships because of that, because sure. we were really good friends just because we were in the same class or whatever. And then I eventually did bring them to an event and they just, didn't like the environment and then for me I was like okay church over everything so I was like okay bye like it was nice being friends with you but bye if you don't want to be part of my church and that's really unfortunate because it really it really dismisses people before you can even get to know them yeah and it's kind of passed off a lot of times as oh it's good because we didn't have a shared perspective and we didn't see the world the same way and sometimes it would even be you know taught from older people and leaders that oh you want to not, they would never say cut them off, maybe, but they would say, maybe back away from them and focus on these friends here because these feeds are going to show life in you and those are going to pull you away. And it's like, what a bummer. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so still talking about this idea of your experiences as a church kid. I know you've already mentioned this a little bit, but a, a big component, at least in our church, of being a church kid is becoming a a disciple, right? A Christian in our church. And that road to being baptized through studying the Bible and going through these curated Bible studies. And in my book and in several previous episodes, I've touched on bits and pieces of different reasons why these could be so problematic for for many unique reasons based on the different uh, experiences of different people. But I know you had wanted to share some things about your experiences studying the Bible to get baptized. So go ahead. What, What was your experience like studying the Bible, going through those Bible studies to get baptized in our church? Okay, so I obviously, I grew up seeing people get baptized all the time at church, at the beach, you know, like in pools, whatever, you know, whenever you can, wherever there's a body of water, that's where you get baptized. And my, I'm very thankful for this, that my parents never pushed me to get baptized. They never even pushed me to like study the Bible. They never even mentioned it. I think for me, it was Mm. just, I was surrounded by it. So I was like, it like piqued that curiosity of like, oh, like 
why are people saying that they're different now? Like, how are they so different? Or why are they yeah. so happy when they get out of the water? Like, what does that mean? And <laughs> that was like, I that really piqued my curiosity for sure. And then yeah. the summer, let me see, my eighth grade year in the team ministry I was in, I would say one, two, I would say six, about six teens that were my age. They all got baptized within like three months of each other like hmm. super quick. So it was like one after yeah. another. And because they were my age, I was like, and I obviously I heard those things of like, you changed so much. I'm so happy that God's working in you, all that stuff, you know? And yeah. I'm like, oh, what is, what is this? And I read intriguing. Out, yeah. It was very intriguing. And it was like a big red button where I was like, I have to push it. I got to know what's going to happen. So <laughs> right. I reached out to so one of the girls um, that got baptized I reach out to her discipler and she became my discipler. And that's how mm-hmm. I got into studying the Bible essentially is because I just was surrounded by so many baptisms and such a yeah. amount of time. And that really, and then that really helped me of like thinking, Oh, wow, I really do want this in my life. And I think that's why. And also, I mean, it took me nine months to study the Bible essentially. Yeah. And it took me nine months because I was on my sin study for like mm. a month. <laughs> Wait, oh my gosh, this is a whole different thing too. If you're not from our church, yeah. most studies, I mean, you were never the one to gauge if you were ready to move on. It was always the leader with you gauging whether you had really been, we use the term convicted by the things that were in whatever study and you really got it and you're ready to go to the next one. There's always homework attached and all that kind of stuff. So why were you on that study for so long? So... Like I said before, I never did anything bad when I was a kid. I think the only worst thing I've done as a kid was in elementary school. These girls pressured me to like write on the bathroom stall in Sharpie. And then they completely ratted me out immediately. Wow. They set you up for failure. Wow. And I was like, wait, they did it too. Like I'm not the only one. Anyway. So like they pressured me into that. Right. And then uh, my parents let me they let me decide my punishment and my punishment, I decided no TV for a week. So that was the only time I got in trouble as a kid. Wow. <laughs> um, and that was like second or third grade probably. Yeah. So with that being on my sin list, that wasn't enough. They wanted me to channel anger, jealousy, hatred, if I've cursed before, stuff like that. And I was like, I, I don't know. Like, I truly don't know. And we would get together every, I don't know, Tuesday. Like, it was a consistent day for a straight month. And they're like, yeah. no, you're not ready. You don't have enough. And I'm like, but I want to get baptized. Like, I don't, yeah. like, I was born in, I mean, I was raised in this church. And I don't know what else to say other than that one incident. And I like concocted some stuff together and I was like, oh, I'm jealous of this one girl who got baptized before me because she's perfect. And I'm jealous of that. So I was like, yeah, I'm good. Oh, wait, wait. So this is bringing up to cut you off again. I'm sorry. Okay. So this dynamic is something that people talk with me a lot about. I've shared a lot of mostly this church because many churches don't do this Bible study series that we have. And this study, the sin study your assignment for that study. It's always the one in middle school and high school that we're always whispered about. It's like, oh, he's on the sin study. You have to write your sin list, which is you have to write down every sin you've ever committed, which is problematic for so many reasons because it's some 
adult that usually you know well, in my case, but, but sometimes you just don't. And they ask you to write down everything you ever, you ever had. And then the next time you meet, you have to share your entire list to this person or people. And a big dynamic was people or whoever's studying with you telling you you didn't write enough down. Or there's got to be more. And I think I, I, I would assume because of my experience and how many people I've heard is that they are taught to take it at, never take it at face value and whatever they, I, I, I think they're probably taught, like, even if they have 10 pages, ask some prying questions because there's usually more they're holding on to, which is, that's a whole thing too. But you brought up this thing for me because I have not remembered this until you brought that up. When I was doing my sin list, I just remember my, my leader, because for, I mean, for, for everyone, but for guys, it's always, the sin list is always all, all the purity stuff. It's all so heavy, even for girls too. But it's always like, oh, if you, you've done these things, so I better see them on this list, whatever. And I remember, I, 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 have my, I, forget, well, I don't remember a single thing out of my sin list, but I remember afterwards, my, my team leader asking me, he said, I forgot all about this. He said, so when you look at a girl, what do you notice first? I looked at him no. and I said, and I thought there, cause I, you imme- I immediately knew what he was trying to get at, but I sat there feeling so vulnerable and just like, I don't know. But and I said, I don't know their face. Cause that was an honest answer. I was like, the first thing I noticed is their face. Yeah. And it, it was like literally like 10 minutes or maybe it felt that long, maybe like eight minutes or I don't know, but it was just very measured statements and it was the air in between our responses of each other. So he sat there with that information for a while. He kind of sat there just kind of, I don't know, dauntingly a little bit. And he said, okay. He said, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. And then yeah. there was another question too about like, like the same kind of question, but reworded somehow, some way. And he's like, so what do you notice next? Something like that. So eventually I was like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. Other stuff. And he's like, okay, write it down. Like, gotcha. Like, and it was, I had blocked that out of my memory, but it's so, that crosses a lot of, a lot of lines. Anyway, I just wanted to share that because I had forgotten that. No, but it's a big thing that with that sin list. Sorry. So keep going. No, it's it's so true though. Like, they're just like, are you sure? Are you sure? You you know? And like, that's, that's something that, I mean, something when you were talking, it made me think, oh, he's definitely trying to trap you. Like eventually you're going to say, I don't know boobs or whatever and yeah say, oh there you go you're you're a sinner write it down you're, you're guilty of it write it down you know? and i'll be convicted that jesus saves you from that but you you committed that wrong it's like okay but that resulted in so many times and people falsifying things just to write things down what you were saying mm-hmm. very much so you know and it's like they're trying to dig for something that is not there yeah like i truly did not have sin to confess because I grew up in church <laughs> and like, I was always around church people, you know, like I, right. that's something, that's something else I did want to talk about is that like, I, I was so in my high school, I was the only like teen disciple. There were two teachers mm. actually that were in the church at my high school, but I never had them. They like oh. taught like AP classes. I was never in those. Actually, I had one of them like my senior year of high school for like math. But anyway, so yeah. like I was the only the only um disciple there and where i grew up that was not really common um a lot of the the people who were baptized went to school together they had classes together or they at least oh yeah same school mm-hmm. you know so i just was like yeah. like i took pride in that kind of because i was like 
cool. It's up to me, you know, to like save everybody here. The lone survivor. And I never did any of that. Like I just yeah. wasn't really interested in that. But thank <laughs> thankfully they weren't like, Leanne, you gotta do it, you know. But that's something that like really affected me in my friendships in high school was that like okay, I can be friendly with you here. I can laugh at your stupid jokes. But when we're outside of school, no, thank you. Like, That's I, don't, not what I, do. I don't need to be associated with you. And I remember one, oh my gosh, I like blocked this out of my mind until now. I remember, I think it was like my freshman or sophomore year of high school. I hung out with these group of girls all the time, you know, during lunch, between classes, all that. They were really nice. Yeah. And they came to my house uh, for Halloween and they came to my house and they're like, oh, hey, does Liam want to go trick or treating? My mom was at the door and I came, yeah. I, uh, I don't know if I came down or I told my mom, but I just was like, no, I don't want to. Like, why do I need to hang out with them kind of thing? Yeah. And looking back, I'm like, what? Like, just because yeah. you're not in the church. I never went to any of my school proms. I went to one football game. I went to one freshman dance. And it was Sadie yeah. Hawkins, and I asked someone, and said no, <laughs> and I was like, "Whatever, I'll go with some friends." <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like I, so essentially, I went to two school things throughout my whole high school yeah. career because it wasn't the world we were supposed to be in. Exactly, it was the world we weren't supposed to be. Whatever. <clears throat> exactly. So, like, and I, I kind of regret not going to those things because those are, you know, your typical high school stuff. I didn't go to grad night. It was at Disneyland. I didn't go. You know, oh wow. Like, I'm yeah. kind of bummed about that, but I I think that I, like I said before, I, I definitely have that superiority complex where I'm like, I don't need to be associated with you guys. Like, I'll be at school yeah. with you. That's enough. Like, that's the only time I can give you kind of thing. And that reminds me, um, when I was in, it was like my, my freshman year of college, yeah. one of the, the brothers was, he was our Bible talk leader for that specific school because he went there also. And yeah. by that time, I mean, by my freshman year of college, I was what, four years old spiritually. And this guy was like two years old spiritually, maybe like two, whatever. He was <laughs> yeah. younger than me spiritually. And I had the biggest attitude towards him because I'm like, I'm older <laughs> than you. Why are you leading me? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Probably because you're a guy, whatever. But like, I'm older and I know more than you. And looking back, I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, what? Like, it means nothing. <laughs> it, it really means nothing, you know? Yeah. Um, but that I definitely had times like that where I was like, I'm much better than you because I grew up in the church or my parents are known in the church, whatever. Yeah. And it's, it's very unhealthy <laughs> having that that kind of uh, oh, yeah. mindset, you know, because it really, it really makes you be closed off to people. At least for me, it made me be really closed off to him because I was like, whatever you're leading me, I guess I'll do what you say, whatever. But like, yeah. I didn't give him a chance. Like I, it was really hard for me to like get past that, that he's younger than me spiritually. It's like the, the scale on which we gauge someone's value to us is based on their allegiance to this stuff and our church and these things and how long they've been and whatever. For sure. And for so many people, like for all the things that if people aren't part of it, you're like, oh, they don't have anything to offer me. It's anything good. So why waste my time? Right. And that's something about the church is that there's so much favoritism. There's so much nepotism and people yeah. do not understand that. Like they don't, they don't see it or they just don't fully understand it in the sense of 
you know, like if you are more, like I said, if you're older spiritually, then you have more opportunities, I guess, especially yeah. if you're married in the church, you are so used. Oh yeah. If you're single. Mm-mm. You're not quite there yet. Yeah. Which is so sad. Yeah. So sad. We've talked a whole bunch about all your experiences stuff and I, we've kind of started to touch on this a little bit, but how have your experiences growing up in church affected or influenced your views and understanding of God, church, faith, or yourself? Um, Growing up in it, I definitely put the church that, you know, the church I grew up in and God as one and the same. It was mm. not like, like not one could not exist without the other. It was very, right. they were the same thing. So like, I remember growing up and I would say all the time, like, oh, I cannot imagine my life without the church, meaning God. Like it was, right. like, I would say, I can't imagine my life without God, meaning the church. Like it was the same mm. thing for me. I don't know if everyone else felt that way, but I definitely did. And that was really hard for me when I left because I was, I mean, I would say I stopped going, actively going to church for like two or three months until I like actually officially left. And during those, that time I was like, if I leave the church, I leave God. Like, I'm not going to find God anywhere else. I truly felt that. And that scared me so much. Right. It truly, it scared me to my core where I'm like, I don't know if I can find God anywhere else because I've only known God to be associated with this church. But my time was completely done in that church. And I was at that point where I was like, if I, I'm going to leave. And if I don't find God, then I don't find God. Like, Hmm. and that scared me so much because I've always known God. And it really scared me to possibly not feel God, not find God anywhere else, not feel his presence, you know? Yeah. So that was really scary for me. But like I said, like I was so desperate. I was like, I gotta go. Yeah. Faith. Actually, it's been really good for faith because I've always been like, okay, God's in control. God's in control. Because I'm the kind of person who wants to be in control and who wants to know what's going to be next. I don't like to be surprised. I hate surprises and all that stuff. Yeah. So I think I'm just like, okay, God has it. Like, this is going to be scary, but God has it. Like, it is what it is. Yeah. And that's made me more trusting towards God, especially in this past year of me leaving. Mm. I'm like, okay, God has it. And something that's helped me personally with knowing that God is still there is that I've been through so much in my life. I'm only 26 and I've been through so much in my life and I'm still here and I'm stronger than I was a year ago, the year before, whatever. Yeah. So like, that's really helped me where I'm like, okay, like if I wanted, if what I wanted happened, I would not be where I'm at today. And I fully believe, Mm. you know, I like, if I want, like I wanted to stay in said church and in that location for my whole life. Thank you, God. I am not there. Thank you, God. I did not get married at 20, at 21. You know, like Mm. I truly thought I was going to like have like three kids by 30 or whatever, like, (laughs) like the typical stuff. And Mm -hmm. I'm so happy I'm not in that place. And like, yeah, I want to be married and have kids one day, but like, that's, that's obviously not where God wants me right now. And that's, I'm holding that. So I'm like, I'm like, cool. God's got it. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. 
And that goes right into, I haven't even said this yet. You're, you're right here for episode 21, which is based off of chapter 21 in my book, which is all about navigating that dynamic of how to go through life and the perspective of life when our idea for the direction it should be going isn't going that way. And when plans change, when the direction when the path drawn alters course, which is huge, at least in my experience and many I've talked to, it sounds like in yours too, where in your mind, you have a prescribed life set out, especially when you're in a church, any church, but this church in our experience, when you grew up in it, it's like, no, no, I'm going to be here till the day I die. I'm going to have, I'm going to find a girl here or a guy. I'm going to, I'm going to have a family here. I'm going to, they're going to be raised in here. All my friends are going to be around us. Some will move away, I'm sure, but most of us are going to be here and that's going to be it. And for me, I was totally okay with that. That was great. And that didn't happen. So I want to ask you, can you talk about We've already started to touch on this, but would you mind talking more about the times in your life or the times when your life ended up going a different direction than you imagined and how those changes affected you in your view of God and life and yourself? Yeah, I um, like I said before, I thought I was going to be in the same place my whole life. And then I moved to Oregon and a lot happened during during that five years of being in Oregon and none of it was my plan in any sense. Yeah. You know, like obviously I never planned for my parents to get divorced. I never planned to I was I was in a situation ship with this guy for <laughs> two years. I don't know. Yeah. A long time. And that was really hard. And like I but I was convincing myself, okay, one day he'll come around and we'll yeah. maybe get married. I don't know, you know, and I'm happy that didn't happen, you know, like that ended yeah. eventually. And I think that I I used to be that kind of person who, I mean, I still am, but not as bad. But I, I used to be that kind of person where I wanted to know what the next step was. I wanted to know what was going to happen. And now I'm like, mm. I'm just chilling, you know, like life is good, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I've got my health. I'm happy. You know, I'm healing from a lot of mm. trauma, Yeah, not just from the church, but, you know, like, you know, being abandoned as a baby and a lot of other trauma. Sure. And I just, I'm like, you know, it's okay if I don't know what I'm going to be doing next year. It's okay if I don't even know what's going to happen next month. Like, that's okay. And I think, yeah, I think being in the church, like you always, you always had plans and you always knew what was going to be next. And I think being yeah. out of the church, I'm like, I'm like letting go of that control of like, okay, it's okay. Like, as long as I have my health and I'm happy and I'm fine, then life will be good, you know? Yeah. And that was really hard for me to let go of, though, because I always had that security of that community, essentially. I mean, that's why I moved to Denver. I moved to Denver with my mom to be part of one of our sister churches. And it didn't work out, yeah. obviously. And and also my mom left. I don't know if I've mentioned that, but my mom left and she was right. yeah. for 46 years. And wow. she found an awesome church. I'm still looking, but she found an awesome church. I'm super happy about that. And we are really yeah. living our best lives. And something that I really wanted to emphasize is that I am the most me and the most free I've ever been. And that mm. is so awesome. I am obviously frightened of what my future holds and I'm so scared sure. of like if I'm going to find a church I've I've visited a lot of churches um since I've left and none of them have been the right fit but also sure. at the same time I'm like 
okay, I don't know what's going to happen. And that's okay. You know, like I, yeah, I'm out of this, of this really toxic environment and I get to just move forward. And I think that yeah. that's something that I want to embrace is just embracing, not knowing what's going to happen mm. in the church. It really, you can't have that mindset of like, mm not being in control in a sense because yes god is in control in the church but at the same time you know what's going to happen because yeah everything is set out for you does that make sense yeah oh no i mean i thought i was thinking when you were i thought i was thinking when, when you were saying that was it was always oh god's in control oh just rely on god but the the structure the system the schedule everything about the church was so tight and so tight knit that there was no room for the spontaneity of God to be there. And I think spontaneity scared us as a church because you can't control spontaneity. You can't foresee the end result of spontaneity. But that's how God works is we can't, there's no forecast for what God's going to send because it's a faith thing. And that's, I hate saying that but it's, because it doesn't sound, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. It's, it's a faith thing where it's a relationship and it's a dynamic thing where we can't put God into a schedule and say, this is going to happen on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, next year, five years, because that leaves out any room for the naturality of it all. Mm-hmm. And as a church, we, we made it where we could say, oh, let's God in control. Let's, he's all whatever. And we left no room for him actually to take control because we had it all planned out where we didn't really need him to do anything. We didn't think. For sure. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Faith is is very, it can be tricky sometimes because I think people yeah. can like have their own definition of faith. And you're like, oh yeah. yeah, I have faith in God. And then they're like, but low key, like I have like every hour planned in my life and <laughs> it has to happen this right. way, you know? And that reminds me of, um, a book I read when I was in the teens and it basically said like, there is, there's a reason why we don't know what's going to happen. And it's because like, I mean, let's say we know that our life is going to be great. Cool. That means you're not going to try. You're not going to put in any effort. You're going to be prideful. And then on the flip Hmm. side, if your life, if you know, your life is going to turn out horrible, you're going to be bitter you're going to try to right. prevent it. You're going to try to, you know, can control it. And, yeah. and I really, I really did like what it said in that book because it was, it basically was like, there's a reason why we don't know. And it's all because we need to have faith in God. And I, I truly yeah. do believe that because, oh my gosh, if we were in control of our own life, like, oh. con- <laughs> like completely in control, we would be yeah. hot messes. We would be, mm-hmm. I think, honestly, in my opinion, I, I feel like, or at least for me, I would not have grown the way I've grown if I yeah. if I had my life the way I wanted it to be, for sure. Mm. And also, if we are able to have that kind of control, we do not want to let that go. So there's a reason yeah. why we don't have that kind of control in our life. Yeah. You know? But yeah, spontaneity, that is not a forte of mine. I hate being spontaneous. Like I said before, yeah. I, I hate surprises. I want to know what's going to happen. Like, oh my like gosh. Have it all figured out. Oh yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, 
maybe this is why I don't read books anymore. But when I would read books as a kid, I would read the last chapter or the last page. <laughs> oh, you're one of those so, people. Yeah. To know it all turns out okay. <laughs> or yeah. there's like a, a like a movie. I'd be like, no, just tell me the end. I want to know if it's good or bad, you know? And Yeah. Because I wanted to be in control. Like that's that's really a control thing is like I want to know what's yeah. going to happen. And if I know what's going to happen, then I can have control of what I do. You know, like if I right. want to see that movie or not, or I want to continue this book or not. Yeah. So being spontaneous. Yeah. Not my strength. But I'm working. Yeah. And then there's there's a um there's a a security mm-hmm. in knowing what comes next, yeah. which is I think one of the biggest reasons we desire that so much is we have that security and without the opposite security, I don't know the opposite literally is, but it's whatever it is, it's fear, right? It's unknowing, it's whatever. And I think you you mentioned the the movies and the books. What came to mind was a big, a big element of when we know how it turns out or the last page or the last scene or what happens tomorrow or next week or next what what it compromises is the adventure mm-hmm. because with security comes a lack of having to take risks, a lack of having to actually be in the moment, a lack of having to live in a sense, but, but without getting too like poetic, but it's like adventure. We, we, we sacrifice the adventure of living in the moment and not know what comes next. Maybe have the freedom to then choose one of eight different routes without having already knowing, Oh, route B is the one you need to go on. Right. And that's such a huge, because God wants us to have adventure. He wants us to have a full life of excitement and life, right? And that adventure is, is not there when we, when we know those things. We may have security, mm-hmm. but. No, I agree with that. I think that's something that I've, re- I've learned recently is like, like what you said, enjoy the adventure, enjoy the journey to get to your goal. Because yeah. for me, like I always focus on the goal. Like I'm just like, okay, I need to focus on that. I can yeah. celebrate when. I have accomplished that thing, but like also yeah. like enjoy and celebrate the steps going towards it, you know? And that was really mm-hmm. hard for me to embrace that up until recently. That's huge. We can always focus on the next thing. That's a huge thing with, with uh, inside church, outside churches in life is always focus on the next thing. And you realize when you get there or not, that the time it took there, you never were able to be present in the things and just enjoy life day by day. And, God is in, God is not only at the finish line, right? God is not only, he's, he's every step of the way and he's there to be enjoyed and fill you with life and happiness, whatever. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's really, really big. That's something I've realized also is that like I was growing up, I was horrible with living in the moment because in Mm. the culture I grew up in, the environment I grew up in, it was very much like, okay, when's your next study? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And I was never Mm -hmm. able to fully just like sit back and be like, wow, and take in, you know, where I'm at and just enjoy that. I was always five steps ahead in my mind. And that's something that, and that's like, that goes hand in hand with like being in control of like, okay, I need to be in control of what happens next. And now that I don't have, you know, I'm not in that environment anymore. It's very much like, okay, what's going to happen next? I don't know, but that's okay. You know, and being okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Here's another question for you. Mm -hmm. I feel like, I think this is a very universal thing where I feel like we all at one point or another find ourselves going down a path that we never imagined we would or diverting from a path that we assumed we would always be on. Right. I think everyone 
can relate to that at some point in their lives. So my question for you is what would you say to someone who is currently finding themselves confronted with this dynamic, maybe for the first time and being very uncertain about the outcome of it? What would you tell someone struggling with that of finding themselves, finding their path kind of, there's a fork in the road and they're like, okay, I think I'm veering away from what I was anticipating being the direction my life would be going. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer that everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I think that I feel like if something is going towards a specific way, like don't fight it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, so like if, at least from, I mean, for me, like when I was starting to have doubts last year about the church I was in, I like had some resistance, but overall I was like, okay, I need to like sit in this because there's a reason why I'm feeling said things. You know, and yeah. I think having like trusting your gut and like tr- trusting your intuition of there's a reason why you're having these thoughts. Mm. There's a reason why you're having doubts. There's a reason why this is happening when you thought something else would be happening. So yeah. just like leaning into that and not being so resistant and not trying mm. to fight it. That's really, really good. There's no, it's not always easy. Yeah. Like there's things you need to fight for, but it will never feel like it's going to, it's working against you. It will never feel like you have to fight against like the core of who you are, right? If it's going against who you feel like you are at your core, then something's wrong. And listen to your gut, listen to yourself. And also when it's taking you somewhere else, yeah, not fighting it. That's really good. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, especially if it's something where it's like, for me, it, was, it, was, it wasn't good for my mental health to be in this environment. It wasn't good yeah. for honestly my faith in God. Because I was like, is God, God wants this, what this church is talking about? I don't think he does, you know? And I think just like I've said, you know, like just trusting that of like, there's a reason why we had those gut feelings. There's a reason why we have intuition and to not fight that for sure. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So I'm flipping that now. What would, if you could go back and tell your younger church kid self Mm. one thing, what would it be? That can pertain to anything, not just this topic, but anything. So what I would tell my younger self is whatever you do, do it for yourself. Don't do it for the approval Mm. of your leaders, of your parents, of your friends. Just do it for yourself. Because I think that's something that I'm still learning is to not feel like I need validation from people. You know, and something I've realized, I've realized since I've left is that I am the only person that I will be stuck with for the rest of my life. So I need to like, (laughs) you know, like learning that self-love, learning to be gentle and generous with myself and not being like, oh my God, why'd you do that? Why did I do that? That was so stupid. But like being like really leaning into, okay, let's see why I did that. And let's see like what my intentions were. And not beating myself up about that, because I think that that's something I've learned growing up was just very much like being harsh on myself and not having grace on myself, not being kind to myself. So that's something I would tell myself, my younger self is love yourself, do whatever you do, do it for you. Don't do it for anyone else. Don't do it for the satisfaction of anyone else. Um, and also like be proud of it, like be, like be confident in whatever you're doing. That's great. There's, there, there's a a culture of, of, uh, conformity in many of these places that encourages the loss of self or the undermining of self for 
the greater good of the group or others, which, which of course is a great, there's nothing wrong with helping other and being there for other people. That's a great thing. But if it's at the expense of yourself, mm-hmm. it's not worth it. For sure. And there's, there's not, it's not even a, a thin margin. There's a wide margin of area in there where helping somebody else helps you. So it's, it, we act like it's such a thin margin there where it's either helping them or helping you. It's like, no, no, no. There's so much of you do what you're doing for yourself ends up benefiting so many others mm-hmm. and vice versa. It doesn't need to come at the expense of you. And, and final question, the one I ask everybody on this podcast, this podcast and my book are all about our crumpled papers, which are the ideas or beliefs that we may have at one time believed with full certainty but at some point realized we needed to reevaluate our perspective on. So my question is, what is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn or gain a new understanding of? The first one that comes to mind is that the church that we were in is not the only right church. It's not the right. only church that can save people. And no churches. No churches, exactly. And that's something that we talked about briefly was that like there's just so much pressure to save people to reach out to people to baptize people all that stuff and like that's a lot that's a lot for anyone especially someone who is a teenager still someone who's figuring out they are and so that's like a big thing that I've that I thought about is that you know we're like in that like when we were in that church we were not the only right ones quote right ones and that's something that they really prioritize and talk about is that it is up to us to save them to save everybody on this earth and yeah it's only up to us and we only have the key we only have the answer yeah which is not true in any sense you know yeah and another thing adding on to that is that i've come to uh, realization is that like the church that we are in it really put baptism on a pedestal to the point where it's like if you live like a disciple you know according to their words or their way do everything read your bible go to church confess your sin all that stuff but if you're not baptized then you're not saved and i like looking back i'm like i cannot believe that i truly believe that and I like stood by that and now I'm like what what is the right way you know like we don't yeah I don't know how how to word that but like I mean this church is like fairly new it's what like 16 years old maybe even less like in the 70s 70s yeah 70s yeah because my mom my mom yeah was yeah she was baptized like in like the early early days so anyway, yeah. So like it just it's so new, you know? Yeah. And yet comparatively, yeah. So then that made me even think of like, so everyone before who was baptized, are they not saved just because they weren't baptized in this said church? Like right. I've always thought about I've like thought about that since I was like a teenager where I'm like, Yeah, there were believers before us, like they're not baptized. I don't in my mind, I don't know if I'm ever gonna know for sure. Yeah. Because it's always, you know, it's Baptism saves you. Oh no, faith saves you. Oh, it's a mixture of both. Oh, that's some shows stuff. And I don't think I'll ever know exactly what the scale is on that. But what I will, what I do know, at least from my belief, is that, at least, and I think for what, I, what we believe in our church was that you no know, baptism into our church saves you. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like okay, if baptism is the thing that you need to get saved, okay. But with faith, sure. But it, it's definitely not 
in our church, because we, we took baptism in our church as, oh, that's the, a real baptism. Like, that's, that's baptism. And it's like, no, no way, <laughs> no way. And any church claiming that they're the only ones where that their baptism or their proclamation of faith is the only legitimate one is, is wrong. I can say that with 100% certainty. And going with baptism is that the church that we grew up in, I, I don't know if it was for you guys, but at least where I grew up in, they put baptism to a level where you couldn't even reach. Like meaning like they made you <laughs> prove that you wanted to get baptized. So yeah, that goes hand in hand with the sin city. You know, like if you don't have enough sins in your list, then you can't, you can't get baptized. Yeah. Even though, even though, you know, like me, 14 years old, who don't, who doesn't have sin, I yeah. couldn't get baptized because I didn't have enough sin. Like that doesn't make any sense to me, you know? Right. And oh my gosh, was, that's so true. And also, you know, like what your, I think, team leader, you said, said, or asked you. Yeah. You know, like, they were like, wait, is there more? There has to be more. There has to be more. What else? What else? What else? And like, they did yeah. for that. And they, and that's the thing is like, someone, like, there are so many people who are like, I want to get baptized. I want to get baptized. I've confessed my sins. Yeah. Stuff. And yet so many people who are leading these studies are saying, no, you're not ready. No, you haven't yeah. proven to us. Like, who are you to say that to somebody who wants Jesus? We're a church. Isn't our goal to get people to want to, like, yeah. it feels like, it feels like, I mean, the whole thing is we want you to baptize, we want you to baptize, the whole thing. But then it feels like your if initial interest when they say, okay, let's study, is you're in a tunnel. You're walking through a big tunnel. By the time you get to that last study and that precipice to get baptized, you're trying to fit through a paper straw. Wow. Right? Because it gets thinner and thinner and thinner. And I, I know so many people, more than I ever thought I would, who had a genuine desire to get baptized and learn about Jesus and study the Bible and learn about it, and who just dropped off at some point because it just wasn't worth the, the work. Yeah. And in what world is it supposed to take work just to say, oh, I, I, this, this guy's cool. I want to follow him. That's all it should take. <laughs> Granted, I believe a little bit of knowledge to, to really know who he is, to actually know who he is. That's great. But you're offering that. It's not... You shouldn't have, a, a, once again, a carrot and say, here's the knowledge, come along to give you deeper and then fill these requirements. No, give them the knowledge and then say, okay, based on what I told you about who this Jesus guy is, does he sound like a guy you want to follow? Sure, welcome, right? And we'll feed you more along the way. Mm-hmm. It's, you have to learn it all and prove yourself first and then enter into the membership of people who are all perfect, <laughs> who know it all. And then even after baptism... Like you still got to prove yourself. It's not like oh yeah, you've all done the time. something and then you can just go on your way. Like it's it's very, it's very yeah. much a performative thing. Oh yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And also something that like I didn't realize up until maybe like two years ago was that in the back of my mind, throughout my whole time, I got baptized in 2011. Mm-hmm. So it's that like 12 years ago. And up until like two years ago, like that whole time I was thinking, I've never baptized someone. I am a horrible mm. disciple. Like I studied mm. with so-and-so this whole list and yet I never baptized anyone. And I even yeah. asked my mom, I would say like three or four years ago, I was like, mom, do you think I'm a good disciple? And she was like, yeah, of course. And then she asked me why I asked that. And I said, well, I haven't baptized anyone. And I've been a yeah. disciple for how long? Isn't that my job? Yeah. yeah. And I truly was like, I, like, I helped like study the Bible with a few people, but like, I personally 
physically did not baptize them. And I just felt so horrible. And so like, is God like, is God here? Like, is he busy with someone else? You're failing or something or underperforming or something. And I just felt horrible about myself. And I think that's so sad that like what we said, it's so performative that if you don't dunk someone, then you're a bad disciple. You're a bad Christian or whatever it is. Yeah. I think it's also wild how, no matter how new you are to the church, you get baptized and within a week you're getting asked, okay, who's study are you getting in? Who are you going to study with? Who are you getting in? Like I got baptized. I mean, I got baptized in 2013. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Ninth grade. And I had several friends who were my age who were ba- studying the same time I was, who were earlier on in the studies. Right. And immediately within maybe not even that day I get baptized and I come out and I'm like, okay, who, who do you want to get plugged into on a Sunday before church? Who do you want to get plugged into? Who studies? I'm like, I just, I just got here. I, I, all I know is I've decided I want to do this. Yeah. And you're telling me that with, with the extensive, right. That's I, like sarcastic, the extensive knowledge I have now of this, I need to sew into somebody else and get them up to here. And it's such a dangerous thing because what if I don't agree with it anymore? Mm. And that's happened so many times. It's like a, good, a couple of years down the road. It's like, I don't agree with what that club was anymore. That little club there. And I now, had gotten how many people I know into it too before I even had time to sit and process what I was agreeing to because I've been in there for three days, right? A lot of <laughs> unnecessary pressure. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think, I don't know if you relate to this, but I have definitely adopted that mindset of putting unnecessary pressure on myself because I'm sure. just so used to that. And I think that. In my mind, up until very recently, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so much, I'm in, I'm under so much pressure. Wait, that's a good thing. That means I care. That means I'm doing stuff. Right. And I'm like, that shouldn't be the norm of like feeling burnt out, feeling so like on edge all the time. It means you're growing. It means God's working through you. It's like, oh, maybe sometimes, maybe, but not like that. Yeah. It's like, can he work in me when I'm like resting? Like. That would be great, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. On a beach somewhere. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. That's something else that like I'm really trying to embrace is being okay with not doing anything for myself. Yeah. You know? Like, can you relate to that? Mm-hmm. It's it's like be, it's okay to not be doing anything. Yeah. And and just like listening to your body and being like like um like, oh wow, I slept 10 hours last night that's yeah that means i really needed it you know and yeah right like, oh wow i need to cancel plans because i need to cancel plans like i won't be able to be my full self right. if i go if you know i don't cancel the plans or whatever mm. and that's something i'm really yeah. really trying to embrace is saying no to people not giving all my free time to people <laughs> yeah you know, i'm so used to that of like oh you need to help move like you need help moving okay, I'll help you, even though it's at 6 a.m. and it's on a Saturday, like, right. I can do that. And I'm sick, but I'll still do it. Yeah. Or, like, I just had surgery or something. Like, right. like there's always, like, some some kind of thing where you have to be moving and you have to be doing yeah. things for people. And that's something that I've been telling people who, like, aren't in the church at all. Or I've told them, you know, like, if you're not doing anything, that means you're lazy. That means you're a bad disciple. That means that you're not you're letting someone down like god's people yeah so it, it, that's and that's such you keep saying the ones that are there's such, such a big one is serving and servanthood and selflessness was preached so hard mm-hmm. 
at such an, a compromise and a cost of your own well-being and health and you know mental well-being physical well-being emotional well-being mm-hmm. and it's never we rarely ever are able to realize that and it's so important to realize that if we're not taking care of ourselves we can't take care of other people effectively or in a way that really matters or for a long lasting amount of time we can't because we only have a certain amount to give and once we give that if we don't help ourselves we're going to be out of fuel yeah it's like pouring from an empty cup like you can't right there's nothing to give you know and that's something that's like i'm trying to think in a good way like you know that's something that i have learned from the church is putting people before myself but also now that i'm not in the church finding that balance of putting myself first but still yeah but still serving people, you know, and, you know, I learned how, I don't know, like, that's like a nature versus nurture thing. But for me, like, I, I'm very conscious of people and their needs. Like, I want to make people feel comfortable. I want to make, I want to make people feel like they're welcomed and that they're seen, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's something that I did learn from the church was being able, that's a really good thing. Yeah. And being able to just like, you know, whether it be like a small thing of like, oh, do you need a glass of water? Or like, oh yeah, I can drive an hour out of my way and pick you up. Like I'm like willing sure, to do that, yeah. you know? But also like now I'm like, you know, that's a little too far for me. I'm going to say no. But if you're yeah. nearby, sure. You know, like finding that right. like happy medium, that good balance. And and if you can't do something, you're not letting, you're not letting God down. That's a huge thing. Whereas this pressure of it, it was in my experience, never really said that like that, maybe sometimes, but you're like, you're letting God down. But it was always that constant awareness of, oh, I'm not doing this. This is what God wants me to do. If I'm not doing it, then I'm letting him down. And we can't let God down. And it, we, like, yeah. we, if you do the most horrible thing, we can't let him down because he doesn't have a, 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 an unrealistic expectation for us. He expects exactly what he knows we can do yeah. and what we should be doing. So there's no expectation that he has for us that we can't fulfill. He knows what we need better than even we do. And he wants, there's probably so many times, man, in the past where we're doing stuff in the, in the, in a church or whatever. And he's like, just calm down, please. But yet we're so busy doing stuff for him. Like, no, we have to. He's like, no, please, please stop. For sure. Yeah. For sure. That's all I got. Leanne, thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a great conversation. I'm so glad I got to have you on to talk about all this stuff. And um, yeah, I enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And um, I'm just really excited to see where this podcast goes for you and how it helps other people. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Guys, that's it for this episode. I will see you next week for our second to last episode of season one, which is crazy to me. It'll be the last chapter of the book. And then the week after that, if you're still listening, this is important. So listen up. The week after next week, so the week after the episode covering the final chapter of the book, there's going to be a finale wrap up episode and the contents of that will, will, will be a surprise, but a section of it will be devoted to hearing from you guys, the listeners. And what I want to know from you is this, what has been the biggest crumpled paper of your own that you have figured out realized, been able to work through an uncrumple, etc. as a result of the episodes and conversations we've had this season. It can be one that was shared by myself or a guest that you resonated with and was like, oh my gosh, yes, I also believe that or have been feeling that. Or it can be an entirely original 
personal crumpled paper that you have come to realize and work through as a result of hearing the conversations being had. But either way, what is that crumpled paper that you've recognized and been able to start uncrumpling as a result of the discussions this season? If you have an answer to that question, or if you want to think about it and figure out an answer, in the finale wrap-up episode, I'm going to devote a time to compiling all of the responses to that question from you guys and play them and listen to them and have everyone be able to hear them. So if you have an answer to that question, if you want to answer the question, what I would love for you to do is record a video. It doesn't have to be visual because it's only going to be audio anyway, but if you want to record it visually and I can extract the audio from it, that's fine. Or if you want to do a voice recording, that's fine as well. Record yourself answering that question, that prompt, and uh, email it to me at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. And every submission I get will be included in that final episode. So it can be completely anonymous. As a matter of fact, I prefer you not to say your name. Just share with us your crumpled paper. So no worries about having anyone have to know who you are or any publicity or anything like that. I'm hoping to hear from as many of you guys as possible. It would be really, really, really cool to hear from a bunch of you guys and hear the incredible things that you guys are learning and coming to in your own faith journeys. So if you want to do that, please do that. But other than that, I will see you next week for the second to last episode of season one. Until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.